This is It Was a Thing on TV. Spoiler number one is Dr. Lee Franz. It stinks. What is going on? <laughs> what is going on? Episode 92. Submission number 385. The worst Monday night football game... In the world! Some say that there were no winners that night. Some say the Steelers won 3-0. All we know is it aired on ESPN November 26, 2007. Hey guys. What? Mm -hmm. I got one question for you. Well, are you guys ready for some football? Steelers and the Panthers. Steelers and the Dolphins coming over tonight. Well, I'm just talking about football in general. Are you guys ready for some football starting tonight? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well. Well, look at it this way: Greg is a long-suffering Jets fan, and I'm hey. a long-suffering Panthers fan. So you tell me. And I'm a long-suffering Browns fan who's been suffering longer than the both of you combined. What's your point? Hey. Guys, at least you guys have an owner that cares. Do we, Greg? Yeah, sorta. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but oh, well, I forgot you have Jimmy Haslam. But at yeah. least he didn't. But at least he didn't go on a four-year trip on his fundraising rewards card for the Republican Party. Yeah, you're you're right about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your your owner has been MIA for years, it seems. And his and his idiot brother is no better. Right. Uh-huh. Well, whether we have football coming up uh, starting tonight, uh, Thursday Night Football, or not, we're going to talk about what we believe might be the absolute worst football game ever, or at the very least, the absolute worst Monday night football game ever. Yeah. Um, let's just say, let's just say it was an absolutely horrible footnote in an absolutely horrible season for the Miami Dolphins. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because the Miami Dolphins, they had a really, really awful season. 1-15, in and, oh, my God, Mike, do you remember when the Dolphins drafted Ted Ginn Jr.? Wait, Greg, don't go there. He's the pride of the school I worked at the last six years. I understand that, but there was this great moment that I will never personally forget involving Cam Cameron when he got drafted, and we're going to play it right here. Good afternoon, everybody. <laughs> hey, we, uh, we had fun to go this direction. Hey, I just want to thank all of you for being here. We really, uh, we really, just give me one second, we really appreciate your support, and let me tell you about a the young man we just drafted. There's a young man named Ted Ginn, Ted Ginn Jr., and we drafted the Ginn family. I've known this family for over 10 years. I've watched this young man for a long time. You're going to be thrilled every time you watch him as a punt returner because he's going to be a great returner for us. He's going to be a young man who's going to wind up being a great... Thank you. And let me put it to you this way. Brady, 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 
someone that you're going to be proud of. So, yeah, this was like the start of the Cam Cameron era in Miami, and it it wasn't going good. Yeah, because Ted Ginn was drafted a little high that year. Uh, he was drafted ninth overall, and really the, the only thing he was known for was being a, a very good return man. He wasn't really the best wide receiver at Ohio State, uh, even though he's the pride of my former school. It, it was not a very good draft for, for Miami. Or oh. Really, uh, Cleveland had a good first pick, uh, but their second pick was Brady Quinn, and the less said about Brady Quinn, the better. Yeah, he's now at Fox Sports. Yeah, the first pick we had, though, was Joe Thomas, and uh, with any luck in about four years, he'll be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, but here's the thing. Steelers and the Dolphins in 2007, they meet. The matchup isn't the worst thing about the game. Oh, yeah, especially when you look at some of the players that were on the field, especially for Miami. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Your starting quarterback that night was John Beck. And you're going to say, who? 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 Yeah, Yeah, that John Beck. John Beck, he was a second-round pick in 2007 uh, out of BYU, a quarterback. Yeah, that was your starting quarterback. Uh, and, again, as you heard, who? Who? John Beck, did, he did not have a very long career. And I know somewhere I've got a bunch of rookie cards of his, so sucks to be me, I guess. It, it was so bad. He only played two seasons in the NFL – he played this rookie year with uh, Miami, and he went 0-4. And then four years later, he was, ended up with the Washington Football Club, and he went 0-3. So for his career, he is 0-7. Wow. Yes, that John Beck. Yeah. But then I mean, there's other names when you hear them, more who's. Uh, your receivers for the Dolphins included Marty Booker. Who? Like I said, Patrick Cobbs. Huh? Huh? David Martin. Who? Yeah, I think that's all we're going to say. That, that, that's your who, what, and where right there. Marty that's Booker, another entry. No, no, that's not another entry. <sighs> Bite your tongue. But yeah, uh, those players I mentioned, those are not getting to the Hall of Fame unless they buy admission. Well, one thing I want to note about the Dolphins is who was on their 2007 roster that was making their big return to Pittsburgh in this game? The big return to Pittsburgh? Yes. Uh, well, you mean the big return to football or a big return to Pittsburgh well, because they played well, it, there? I forgot both. I'm sorry. There's two different players on Miami we forgot. Well, the first I want to mention – the player who's making his return to Pittsburgh. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's two ways of looking at it. Uh, the, the first player making his big return to Pittsburgh was Joey Porter. Yes. Because yep. Joey Porter uh, played in Pittsburgh his first eight years and then signed with the Dolphins. And, again, the rest is history. But the person I was thinking of, the person making his return to the NFL for the first time in almost two years, Ricky Williams. Yes. Oh, yeah. The yeah, stories we can tell about Ricky Williams. Yeah. Oh, remember, gosh. Because yeah, remember, yeah, remember, Ricky Williams had that retirement 
around what two what two thousand four. Yeah, and then he had his drug issues, his marijuana issues. Yeah, I was about I was referring to the drugs. So, but yeah, I mean, if we ever do a podcast about just oddities and sports, or just uh, personalities, Ricky Williams is going to be one of those first ones because his story is weird, and uh, just how he got drafted back in nineteen ninety nine is is a story in and of itself. Yeah, by Mike Ditka. And then the SI cover. Oh, yeah, the famous SI cover with him and Ditka. Yes. But, yeah, there's a great 30 for 30 on Ricky Williams, if you want to watch it, from the first season. And then at least when you get to the Pittsburgh side, you have more names. I mean, at this point, they were 8-3, and three, yep. and they had household names. Or at Roethlisberger. Least, uh, I mean, Roethlisberger, number one. Number two, Heinz Ward. And Heinz Ward, I would say, is has a very good chance of ending up in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And then they had the, a decent running back. They always have a good uh, core of, uh, at running back. They had Willie Parker at this time. So this was after Jerome Bettis retired. The, the pride of Clinton, North Carolina, Willie Parker. Oh, there you go. So they had quality players on the Steelers. And the issue wasn't necessarily – the Dolphins were a bad team or the Steelers were overmatching them. The big issue was the field. Oh, oh yes. God. The field. Fresh, well, fresh turf. Well, let's talk about that field because Heinz Field is renowned for being, well, for lack of a better phrase, a shithole. A shithole, not necessarily in terms of being a bad stadium, being dirty or anything, but the field, if you've ever been to Heinz Field, is right on the river or right on the con- uh, the convergence, the confluence of the three rivers. Yeah. And anytime there's rain there, sometimes the rain sort of backs up into not just Heinz Field, but also the, uh, but also PNC Park, which is not terribly far from Heinz Field. It gets it gets swampy. Yeah, it, it gets very swampy because it's literally right on the river. I mean, I've been down to to PNC Park and I've driven past Heinz Field. It is literally right at the confluence of the three rivers. So yeah, if you get any sort of rain, it's gonna make things really yucky. And even under regular weather circumstances, Heinz Field is hellacious for a kicker. It is not optimal. Kickers do not succeed at Heinz Field, especially visiting kickers. Your, your home kicker, your Steelers kicker, yeah, they're used to it, but no, it, it, it's a mess for, for kickers. And that was the big difference maker in this game because, one, it was very rainy in uh, the Pittsburgh area, very moist, very wet. But also, two, over the course of, it was, I believe, 10 days, there were seven football games played there between the Steelers and the Pittsburgh Panthers and high school games. Yeah, because the high school championships would be going on around Thanksgiving week. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you had seven games going on in the span of 10 days. And then on top of it, you have rain. So... It's just a formula for an absolutely messy game, one where 
there's not going to be a whole lot of rushing. Blocking is going to be at a premium. Uh, definitely with the rain in the air, you're not going to be throwing the ball all that much. I actually have the stats for that game. Uh, Beck threw 14 of 23 for 132 yards. And Ben Roethlisberger threw 18 for 21 for 165 yards. Really good completion percentages in the rain. 14 out of 23 and 18 out of 21. That's pretty good given the conditions. And you had to uh, excuse the phrase. This is like going back to last week's episode. You have to wipe down the balls a lot because they're getting wet. Yep. And uh, Sorry for the uh, double entendre, but that's the way it is. It, it, it's really rainy and really muddy. You here's gotta the keep thing. your balls dry. Here's the thing. Pittsburgh rushed more than they threw. And Miami was uh, both was uh, half and half, basically. 24, 24 attempts passing, 23 attempts rushing. Yeah, and they usually want the ratio to be a little bit higher. You usually want it to have closer to like a 2-to-1 pass-to-rush ratio. Mm-hmm. But, again, but again, given the weather... You know, can you necessarily blame them? You, you don't really want to – oh, gosh, I'm going to say it again. You don't want to necessarily pass wet balls around. I regret nothing in this episode, but I also regret everything. Uh, it's going to be one of those episodes where I hope you know what I mean, but if you don't, that might be for the better. You, maybe it's best if you think like a 12-year-old in this episode. Oh, gosh. Uh, another sign that this is a really bad game, the total amount of yards on both sides was horrible. Yeah. I mean, if you look at a NFL game nowadays, usually your teams get 400 yards per game. Uh, better teams uh, like your Chiefs and your Rams might get 500 yards a game or, or even your, your Saints. Hey, Carl. The Miami Dolphins in this game accumulated only 159 yards. Pittsburgh did better, but they didn't do much better. Uh, They had 216. So, I mean, that was like 50 more, but still, 216 yards in an NFL game is really bad. That just shows you how bad the weather conditions and everything was in this game if the two teams combined for about 375 yards. Not optimal conditions, to say the least. Oh, no. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about uh, the, the passing, the rushing. We talked about Willie Parker had 81 yards. That's good. But when you look at the Dolphins, and remember, the Dolphins had Ricky Williams who, you know, even though he just returned after two years out of the league and he retired for a year, so he basically missed like most of the last three years at that point, or uh, yeah, like three of the last four years, he still had 10,000 plus rushing yards in his career. Yep. So, so don't shortchange him there, but looking at the combination of him and Patrick Cobbs and Jesse Chapman, yeah, Ricky Williams and two people where you say, huh, who? They had combined 21 rushes for a total of 42 yards. So well, two yards a carry. Well, one thing I want to note, didn't Ricky Williams get injured in this game? 
I, I would be surprised if, if a lot of people got injured because of just how yeah, yeah, Ricky messy Wa- the circumstances were. Yeah, Ricky Williams had a, got stumped on by one of the Steelers players, and he ended up with a torn peck, and he was out for the season. Ouch. Yikes. Well, that might explain why Ricky had only six carries for 15 yards. Mm-hmm. And, and also, another thing we should add rushing-wise – is the longest rush of the entire game was by Jesse Chapman for Miami. Ten yards. Ten yards. That's the longest. Ten yards. Willie Parker's longest rush was nine yards. Wow. That is just ridiculous. That is absolutely bonkers. It's... Well, again, blame the weather, blame the the field. Uh, It it was an absolute mess. And if you see the footage of it, I mean, I think it was Susie Colbert who was doing the sideline uh, on this uh, this broadcast. She had mentioned that the field had essentially become almost like quicksand. Yeah. And and the thing is, if you look at the, 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 muck the mire i'm not even gonna call it mud because it's past mud at this point it was like three inches thick i mean there was like no sod it was like trying to get your feet out of cement it was a workout i mean people got their exercise that day especially like the linemen uh but one thing i remember seeing while watching uh, footage of this if you've ever seen a regular punt under normal circumstances, drier conditions, the it, ball will bounce sometimes five yards, 10 yards. Yeah. Maybe a good bounce, maybe 20 yards into the end zone for a touchback. In this game, it was so muddy and so wet, the punt literally died when it hit the ground. Yeah, this was a third quarter Brandon Fields punt from near the Miami goal line, and it drilled into the turf. Whatever turf there was. I mean, as I said, it was like quicksand. It, it died. There was no return. You, you had just, uh, I mean, even the uh, return people were like, okay, we're not touching it. Let's let it drop. And the people on defense, they uh, just like, once it landed on the ground, okay, touch it. We're going to uh, down it there. But yeah, the, the punting in this game, that's another thing we should mention because there were some atrocious punts. I think one didn't even go 20 yards. Again, that shows you know, the, the conditions on the field, but also uh, the rainy conditions in the area. Yeah, the punting was so bad, it would make Pat McAfee go nuts. Oh, absolutely. And looking at the punts that day, Brandon Fields for Miami, he averaged 37.3 yards on six punts. That's not bad. 37.3 under those circumstances is not bad. Daniel Sepulveda of Pittsburgh, who was a pretty decent punter for Pittsburgh back in the day, five punts averaging 34.6 yards. And again, one of those punters had like an 18-yard punt. And I'm going to guess it was probably Sepulveda given those numbers. Yeah. Not good. So the game itself... We had a 0-0 tie after one quarter, a 0-0 tie after two quarters, 
A zero zero tie after three quarters. Uh huh. Now there had been an NFL game before this that ended in a zero zero tie. Yeah, that would be uh, Lions and Giants on November eleventh, nineteen forty three. Yeah, it was during World War Two. It was a good sixty five years before this game was played, and it looked like we were going to go to an overtime zero zero. But our savior, I can't believe I'm saying that about a Pittsburgh Steelers player, Jeff Reed, the place kicker, from 24 yards out with 17 seconds left, the field goal was good. And our pain was over. I, I swear to God, there was a moment where people were hoping, praying, wishing that somebody would score because they did not want to go into overtime on this crap. No. Oh, absolutely not because it would have legitimately ended 0-0. Nobody was making any progress anywhere. And then in the last, like, four minutes, Pittsburgh, uh, they started at the Miami 42, so that's good field position to begin with. They drove very close to the goal line. They drove down to the six. So 36 yards in nine plays. Uh, there was a couple Willie Parker rushes in there for a couple yards, including his nine-yard rush, his big uh, rush of that day. Uh, and actually, that was um, there was a penalty because Heath Miller, longtime Steelers tight end, uh, was holding, so push him back another 10 yards. Uh, but then you had Ben Roethlisberger to Heinz Ward for 21 yards. Uh, ben to Wards again for 11. Uh, ben to Ward again for six. Uh, the big pass was Ben to Willie Reed for six yards on third and three at the Miami 12. Hey, never thought we'd hear a Willie Reed reference on this podcast. I don't even know who Willie Reed is, but he had probably the biggest catch of the day at uh, third down and three uh, right at the two-minute warning. Oh, he only had, he only played like two years for the Steelers, and had and that was one of his four career receptions. Oh my gosh, I had never heard of him up until this point. He he's not one of the people in the the history of the Steelers that us Browns fans really remember. Yeah, but then after the field goal, you got to give the Dolphins credit. They tried doing. The old Stanford play. The band is on the field. Laddering all over the place. Trying to get into the end zone. Uh, They actually had two chances. The first one, they tossed it around a little bit. Not for terribly long. Only like, I want to say eight or ten seconds. Because I think uh, there were three seconds left on the clock. And they didn't get terribly far. It says that uh, they only got four yards. And actually, there was a penalty on the uh, aforementioned Marty Booker because he did do an illegal forward pass. And the penalty was actually declined because they probably said at this point, the Steelers said, you know what? Screw it. We're done. We're We're over. It's over. We're We're done. Yep. We want to go home. Let's go into the locker Let's go to the locker rooms where it's nice and dry. Let's put on clean clothes. Forget about uh, accepting the penalty. Let them keep the four yards. So they had a second chance. And, again, they tried doing the same deal uh, with lateraling and uh, 
this one didn't work out so well. They, they made about three successful laterals. Then the fourth one, uh, I think, was fumbled and was actually marked down. Uh, somebody from the Steelers tried returning it. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure the refs at this point were like, nope, it's dead. Let's end the game. We want to get uh, into the nice warm locker room. Nobody too. wanted to play that game longer than absolutely necessary. Nobody. Everybody oh. wanted to get home. It's yeah. like Mike Tirico, Tony Kornheiser, and Ron Jaworski were in the booth, and they wanted to go home. Now, now again, this is, I guess, what you would call it the best of who, of who was available because, frankly, they're no Al Michaels. Oh yeah, they don't. They, ESPN had already traded him for Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. So yeah. So again, uh, Mike Tirico, Jaws, and Tony Kornheiser. Not the worst broadcast team, but they were still. I guess they were still trying to get a feel of each other. Hey, I got nothing against uh, Jaws, and Tirico is definitely a, a great broadcaster. Oh yeah, and, I, and you're not going to catch me say anything bad about Kornheiser because we absolutely love PTI in these parts. We do, e- even though honestly, and, and Chico knows this from last year in Vegas, we're more of uh, highly questionable fans. Poppy uh-huh. is our spirit animal. Well, it's Dan yeah. Levertard. Well, Dan Levertard is dad. Poppy is is our spirit animal. Oh yeah, and, and Poppy Levertard. Although, Stu, although for me personally, it's Stugatz. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I am honestly not surprised at that. <laughs> but I, 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 but I will say, this this game was so bad to watch that you know I'm going to be honest with you. The only good part about this game is the halftime part where Chris Bourbon does the fastest three minutes. Uh, yes. That is the only good thing about this game is seeing Berman do the, all the highlights of the week. And it's just, oh, my God, this is like so 2007. They, have, they had a highlight of the Browns game from that week. And now, now hold on. Wait, wait. Stop right there. Oh, no, we're going to trigger Mike here. You, oh, tri- you triggered me. I was actually going to save this for a few uh, moments. But 2007, the NFL season in 2007 was so bizarre. I mean, we had this game. The Browns in 2007 almost made the playoffs. They went 10 and 6. And then after that, they, you know, well, they've sucked ever since. I don't think they've had a winning record since then. Yeah, because uh, in 2018, they finished 7, 8, and 1. Thank you, Hugh Jackson. You should have uh, kept Greg Williams. I'm just saying. We should have we should have kept yeah. Greg Williams. You're not wrong because we see how well Freddie Kitchens did, but we'll see what uh, Stefanski does this year. But but also on top of all that weirdness, the the Browns actually having a good team. The Browns drafting a Hall of Famer. We have the weirdest game of football in history. This three nothing game. The weirdest is yet to come because in the Super Bowl that year, Greg, control yourself. I know you love this. The epic defeat of the undefeated, at that point, New England Patriots by the New York Giants. And maybe the best catch in Super Bowl history, 
the David Tyree catch. You know, here's a true story. Now, a couple. Now, I'm, I was probably going to save this because we have an entry on the list for more Sean Lynch at Super Bowl Media Day. But screw it, I'm going to tell this story anyway. So, this is Super Bowl Media Day 2014 at the Prudential Center in Newark. I'm walking around the concourse at the Prudential Center, and I see a guy on his phone, and he has an NFL media badge on. So I'm just I'm, I I look at the guy's media badge, and it says David Tyree, and I'm like, oh shit, that's David Tyree. And I'm sure to Giants fans, even then, some seven years later, six years later, David Tyree is nothing short of a saint. Oh yeah. He he's a hero for all Giants fans. Yeah, but I will say this week in 2007 in the Berman's fastest three minutes. If you had said that the Giants were going to upset the Patriots and win the Super Bowl, you'd be nuts considering that week the Giants were playing the Vikings and Eli Manning threw a game-ending interception to Darren Sharper. And I know in 2020. Uh, considering uh, what Darren Sharper has done. Yeesh. Yeah, that hasn't aged well. No. But also you need to remember for the Vikings in that game in 2007, that was Adrian Peterson's rookie season, and he was the best thing in football that year. He was absolutely amazing. Oh, and as we say this, we should note the day we're recording this, Adrian Peterson got released from the Red... I'm sorry, can't say that. He got released from the Washington Football Club. That's just sad. Yeah. No, no it isn't. It's Washington. They deserve what they get. Mm. So in the fastest three minutes to close it out, Chris Berman mentions the day before at Rogers Center in Toronto, the 2007 Grey Cup between the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, which was won by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders 23-19, with the most valuable player of the game being Saskatchewan's James Johnson. Now, guys, do you want to know who sang the national anthem of the 2007 Grey Cup? Me, me, me. Pick me. You, you. Pick him, yes. Chico. That would be the Bare Naked Ladies. Oh, yes. It was indeed the Bare Naked the, Ladies. Oh, the best, thing to, the best thing to come, the best thing to come out of Canada since Jim Carrey or Pam Anderson in her, Labatt, in her Labatt Blue shirt that one time. But you know what that means, folks? That means the national anthem singer at the CFL Grey Cup has at least one person that was on bumper stumpers. <laughs> I'm trying to wait. Was it Steve? Was it Stephen Page? Yes, it was Stephen Page yes! on bumper stumpers. Yes. Yes. Oh I knew it was. I was oh. like, I knew. I I knew. It's like I remember the stories. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. the the halftime. The halftime. Yes. Was, oh my God! This this must have been some great halftime show. Lenny Kravitz. Yeah, Lenny Kravitz. That's actually a halfway decent halftime show. It's a very decent halfway. Uh, by comparison, who was in who was uh, the 2008 Super Bowl halftime? 
Uh, it would have been Tom Petty. Oh. Yeah, I can't compare there. Sorry. I, I can't. Can't do it. I mean, come on. Nope. American Girl, Free Fallen. You're, nope. It's like you're talking Clash of the Titans here, basically. I mean, you can't go wrong with Tom Petty. He was lucky on King of the Hill, damn it. Yeah. I but, still can't believe we finagled a Bumper Stumpers reference in this episode. Oh, my gosh. Oh, but guys, you talked about Bumper Stumpers. Oh, boy. Hey, guys. Um, uh-huh. It's time for eBay Price is Right! Woo-hoo! <laughs> All right, guys. So what you are bidding on is... Uh, Mike, you're going to love this. It's a football card. It is a 2007 Upper Deck NFL Sweet Spot card from Signatures Tier 3. And it's a John Beck rookie autograph card. So what it what this is, is it's an autograph card of John Beck. But his signature is not on the card per se. It's on like a mini plastic replica of the Miami Dolphins helmet. Yes, I ha- oh, I used to collect those back in the day. And I don't have a John Beck, so I haven't looked this up. But no, I, I have a Paul Horning like that. Yeah. And and uh I, I the the uh the linebacker for the Seahawks, it was damaged. I never got it replaced. Lola Tatafu or whatever it was. He was big in like 2007, 2008. And Matt Leinart, I've got Matt Leinart rookie like that. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I have several of those. I actually have a Don Maynard upper deck sweet spot that I got on eBay like seven or eight years ago for like $24.99. Oh, yeah. They don't make cards like this anymore. That's a great card. Oh, yeah. Especially Don Maynard. He He has a great signature. Oh, same with Paul Horning. Absolutely great. Yeah. Um, if I may ask, is it numbered in some capacity? It is lim- it's a number to 99. So this, oh is, so this is, there's several ones, but this is the most expensive of the John Beck cards on eBay from this set. Oh, my. Okay. Mm. So we will start the bidding with Chico. $42. Mike? One penny because it is not worth $42. I don't care if it's most expensive. It is not worth anywhere near $42. The price on the 2007 Upper Deck NFL Sweet Spot Signatures of John Beck, number to 99. $16.87. And that you're still paying $16.86 too much for that. Oh my no. god. No, I, I'm sorry. John Beck, I mean you might buy it if you're a BYU fan or if you're a completionist, if you need to have like every card of you know certain quarterbacks for certain teams. But no, I, I would never pay I was ready to say ninety nine cents if I was gonna bid first. I know I would have lost probably, but no, th- th- that card is not worth sixteen dollars, not in my mind at least. There's a card from this same set. 
from Upper Deck Sweet Spot, rookie number to ninety nine of. Oh, and this is a, this is another great two thousand seven player, Cornell Williams from the Tampa Bay Bucks, worth seventeen dollars and fifty cents. Cadillac Williams back in the day, he would have been worth some money, but he fell down a slippery slope around 2007 and uh, his values just plummeted. Yeah. Yeah. Back in 2007, he would have, it would have been the end of him being a big thing. Wasn't that his rookie year also, Carnell Williams? No, 2005 was. Okay. All right. Uh, Yeah. 2005 was uh, was Cadillac Williams. Yeah. 06 was Reggie Bush and 07 was was Adrian Peterson. And then funny enough, the same thing would happen like a couple of years later with the Bucks with Doug Morton. Like he had, he had like this great rookie year, fell off for a couple of seasons. Then 2015, he like came back, he had another good year. And then like he went back down to earth after that again. Yeah, you're not wrong. That happens with a lot of running backs. Well, we talked about the what could be the worst football game in, in in history, or at least the worst Monday night football game ever. Next week, we're going to talk about maybe one of the worst career moves somebody could have. Oh boy! Oh, we are. Well, well it's going to, it's going to stretch over two episodes. Next week is going to be sort of a thematic episode. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, well, what happens when a star leaves a TV show and the TV show tries hanging on for dear life through a number of spinoffs and said star goes to another show, which absolutely bombs. It's, it's a deep dive, I guess you would call it. We did hint towards it a, a number of weeks ago, saying we were going to cover this topic. I'm not going to mention it, but uh, we're going to be spending pretty much both episodes next week talking about these related topics. So something to look forward to. In the meantime, uh, as always, don't forget, uh, we are at www.itwasthethingontv.com. As always, please like and subscribe if you haven't done so already. Uh, Please rate and review. Five stars, preferably. Uh, if you give us four, we'll find where you live and, and hack your internet, maybe. And uh, don't forget to share because, as we say, sharing is caring. And also, we're under a month away from episode 100. Oh. And we have big things planned. First off, episode 100 Myself and Chico and Greg have been talking about this on and off for a couple of weeks, and we've been bantering back and forth about what we're going to cover. Oh my gosh, this episode could go like two hours. I'd hope not, but I'm sure Greg has a lot of stuff to say. I'm sure Chico has a lot of stuff to say, and I have some stuff to say. But oh, that's... That, that's a month away. A month away from 100 episodes, guys. We're almost there. And then also with that, I know Greg is working on a little something, which uh, I'm sure he'll uh, reveal around that time. And then also uh, there's another special little bonus, which is going to come with the 100th episode. I'm not going to say what it is, but um, it, it's much overdue. Let's say that. Wow. I'm just amazed. We're a month away from episode 100. 
but also technically that's about the uh, start time of this podcast. So it's going to be a year of this podcast. Wow, hard to believe. Hard to believe we're one month away from a year. They said it wouldn't last. Yeah, time flies when you're having fun. And the thing is, we've only scratched the surface. I mean, we have, gosh, almost 1,800 entries right now or submissions. And we've got most of the schedule done up until probably about February or March. But uh, that only gets us to about episode 150, so... Yeah, we got a lot of stuff to cover, and uh, yeah, we, 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 I don't know if we'll get to 1,700 or 1,800 entries, but well, we're at least going to get to 100 by next month. Yay! So there's that. Well, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, thank you guys uh, for doing another great job on the, this installment, and thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week with those two interconnected episodes of It Was a Thing on TV. A play look at just as well as this punch. Brandon Fields struggled earlier, got the wet ball away. Aaron Rossum going to let go, and it looks like it's on a tee. If you tee the ball up, you couldn't put it any better. You can you can go for the pin today, can't you, Mike? You can take out that nine iron, go straight for the pin, drop it down, and pluck. Unbelievable.